The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I'm Paxton Wright. With me is Justin Kiever. How are you, Justin? I am doing good, and I'm Justin. Hello. I guess uh, before we really get going from the top of the show, they're working on my uh, apartment uh, building uh, today, so you might hear uh, some knocking in the uh, in the background. Apologies for that, but you know, nothing to be done. Yes, and uh, I have lured a man into my basement uh, in the promise of offering him some of the finest amontillado in town and have uh, locked him in the wall. So if you hear any knocking there, uh, ignore that as well. I can't believe I just gave that away live on air. Um, I am going to be ending up on Nancy Grace's show in no time now. Um, Is she still even on the air? I don't know. It was weird to drop a Nancy Grace reference, but here we go. I, I, I just looped. No, no, I'm proud of myself. I just dropped a Poe and Nancy Grace reference in like two back to back sentences. That's that's a feat of excellence. It is. Yes. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. to you. Thank you. Thank you. See, there's the first, I heard the first knock over there. That's even the construction, even the fr- construction guys are proud of me for that one. No, um, I thought that was on your end. Uh, uh anyway um so we we uh actually do need to really hop right into it because we have a lot to talk about today we are still going to do part two of our mass effect feast as we promised part two of who knows how many um but we kind of have to do a news segment this week the first half of the show will go back to being news we're not doing an hour-long feast today because well if you pay attention to video games stuff happened this week and as video games are back, baby. They're <laughs> releasing again. Awoo. They're back and better than ever. Just when we thought video games were dead, um, they are happening. And uh, uh, yeah, this is kind of a big moment because Justin, you and I often tend to struggle before recording these episodes being like, what happened in the news this week? What? And then often settling on a story that we're like, I guess this is interesting enough. I guess we can talk about this for half an hour. And this time, while we are doing a series, while we are attempting to do a series of hour long episodes that have nothing to do with the news, the biggest, most relevant news dump in months just happened so we are gonna have to sidetrack our plans just a little bit but let's not waste any more time and get into that dump so uh e3 happened this week and also kind of the nintendo direct and also kind of the summer games fest they're all sort of under the umbrella of e3 this year um yeah the the amalgam of uh disparate conferences that we're calling e3 out of more of a sense of tradition than any kind of like meaningful attachment to the electronic entertainment expo happened couldn't have put it better myself um so uh a lot of lot of big announcements games we got games baby um and i guess probably the biggest one we should start off with is uh the one i think most people are talking about is elden ring uh which is the long-awaited I guess, spiritual successor to the Souls series from, uh, it's from FromSoft, right? I know Miyazaki's behind it. Yeah, is it a yeah, FromSoft game? This is a FromSoft game. Yep. Yes, it's it's FromSoft with Miyazaki and George R.R. R. Martin. 
and there's actually a George R.R. R. Martin thing that is getting released. Um, yeah, which I think... So yeah, like that's the thing. Like it's as a trailer. Well, before we get into kind of like why I think this trailer like hit in the way it did, like outside of the fact that like you know people like FromSoft games, um, I like FromSoft games. I love From Software. Like their their soul stuff in particular. Like they also did a lot of mech games in the past, which I do not love uh, as much um, as much as I like uh, uh, Mech Wolf or whatever that one. Really, uh, the, the satire one. Um, but yeah, um, before we kind of like get into sort of like that, uh, what did you think of the trailer, Paxton? You watched it just before we start recording. Yeah, uh, so I I don't love FromSoft. I love the idea of FromSoft. I love, I want to love FromSoft. Uh, we've talked about this on the show, I think, a few times before. Um, I am a, uh, I, I am, I am not a true big air quotes gamer because the souls franchise uh does nothing for me um and i really want it to do something for me uh, i have tried to crack into one several times and i just find myself overwhelmed with how difficult it is and not compelled by the world um which is not to say that the gameplay is bad or that the world is uninteresting it just doesn't butter my biscuit um, so I, I like, it's, it's tough for me to have much of a reaction to this because the only FromSoft game that I am genuinely very interested in just from what I've seen and probably will give a crack at at some point or another is Bloodborne because aesthetically it's a lot more up my alley. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I, I didn't expect this to really jive with me when they first announced Elden Ring like two years ago because I knew it was going to be from soft high fantasy with George R.R. Martin. I also don't care for game of Thrones. I'm bringing the hot takes today. High fantasy is not my bag 90% of the time. Although I do like Lord of the Rings, but uh, uh, so I figured when it was first announced, it wasn't going to be my thing. And I watched the trailer and I thought this looks amazing and my friends are going to love it and they're going to hate me because I'm going to refuse to play it. And uh, that was that was really my whole takeaway is that like, yep, this still looks like nothing I, I care to play. And I it looks like this is going to be one of the most exceptional games, uh, I guess, basically since Sekiro, another game I haven't and won't play. Uh, but oh, that Sekiro was is so good. I know. Anyway. I know. And I don't care. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's so um, good, though. But, um, I, but it's fine. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah, I, I guess to sort of have a, a wet fart of a takeaway a little bit, but I just, um, I, 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 I guess it looks cool and I guess people will like it, but I don't think I'm going to be one of those people. So, yeah, I think actually this might sound like a hot take. I, I don't mean it to be, but I think that was sort of my takeaway from that trailer was I watched it and was like, yeah, this looks like a FromSoft game. And like, you know, like where it did the things a FromSoft game does where I go like, yep, the environment design looks cool. Some of these enemies look really messed up. Uh, You know, it looks like a fantasy thing. Uh, Great. And so I think that was sort of the thing was like, I, you know, there's this like reception to this thing where it seems, you know, like, like fans are kind of like talking about this as this like big revelatory, you know, uh, moment. And I think it just, like, I go like, yeah, all right. Yeah. You know, I'll play this. And of course the thing is like, my response isn't really, I think the thing about FromSoft games is that like from the outside, they look quite dull. And like, like I think about like the early stages of say like Dark Souls one, you know, the game that you've like tried to crack into I think about how boring those early stages are just in terms of like like aesthetically and like in terms of like how they're setting up the story but like the thing is there is a kind of i don't want to say there's like there's a depth to these games that makes them worth their while it's the fact that there is a a deftness and a subtlety to i think the world building and the storytelling in those games and a kind of um and a real sad beauty that only kind of that emerges quite gradually as you play these things that like, you know, I look at the Elden Ring trailer and go like, yeah, there, there's some neat design happening here. I don't really care that George R. R. Martin's uh, writing any of it because frankly, I think the writing in the Souls games is actually quite good. 
um like there's not very much of it it's not doled out at like you know in, in like you know big like uh globs of text but actually it's very do, like do... contextual writing right it's like it's deciphering what is happening by basically interacting with and looking at the world around you from what i've heard um uh yeah yeah exactly like it's very um like, yeah, it's very much these, yeah, like, you get a kind of, like, a lot of, like, lore snippets, and also just, like, these very kind of, like, th these snippets of, like, little bits of dialogue that are actually, by and large, incredibly well-performed. Like, one thing is kind of underrated is how good the voice acting is in the Dark Souls series. So, like, so, yeah, like, my, my, my response to the Elden Ring trailer was, like, yeah, this looks cool. Um, and the thing is, though, without the context of, like, knowing how, like, artful from can be with these kind of, like, fantasy tropes, um I, I would not be interested so like i think so much of like the response to that trailer is kind of like generated from this sort of like internal knowledge of like how these you know how these game how these like you know seeming fantasy games like really do work and then also the fact that it's coming out in like six months when yeah. you know like the proceed like the um the the cycle of kind of uh of like trailers tends to be you know like you keep getting these you know a trailer happens and the game won't be coming out for another two years so i think like the desire for another elden ring trailer was to kind of like you know was fans wanted reassurance that this thing was eventually going to come out someday so like the the fact that it's going to hit in like six months is actually kind of huge like yeah. that's uh um so yeah so yeah i don't know i'm i'm really excited for elden ring i'm really excited that it's coming out that quickly i think that um i think the trailer uh yeah, I, I think that that trailer only hits in a certain way if you're kind of like already attuned to, to what's happening in From Software's games, which I, I think that is what it was. I could admire it as a trailer for pretty much like you said, the exact same reasons. Looks big, looks grandiose, looks like it's got the classic uh, from gameplay uh, creature design rules, uh, as it always does. Uh, in everything I see from those games and uh, I, I, yeah I don't I still not for me but I but I respect that it's for people in fact I think one of my biggest takeaways from this whole E3 was that there wasn't a lot that was that great that was announced but of all the great stuff that was announced of all the big stuff pretty much all of it was stuff that I looked at and said that looks cool that looks compelling that'll probably be great I'm not gonna play it um, that was my reaction to almost all the big reveals and most of the reveals we're going to talk about today, which we need to keep getting to because we have a lot to discuss still. Uh, another one was actually one of the ones that I probably, probably will play is uh, Stalker 2. Um, a reveal I was not expecting to see. Uh, I don't think anyone was really expecting to see that. I, I think it, I was not expecting to see it as like the headliner at, or not the headliner, like the opening act at the Microsoft conference, which was probably like one of the, the biggest, most serious uh, kind of uh, events to happen. in this like, you know, weird uh, E3 uh, amalgam thing. Uh, yeah, no, like that being an, that being an opener was kind of a shock. Um, kind of casually an opener too. They like, yeah, they, I forget what the first thing, I think they might've opened, I don't remember what they opened with, but they had one big, uh, like bombastic opening of like, check out this game. And they're like, also we're making stalker too. Here's the trailer. And I was like, yeah. what you're making stalker too. What? Oh, what? We're, oh, we're, okay. we're giving the stalker development crew a lot of money. And it, probably, and I think it's going coming to, I think it's also going directly to game pass or something like that, which is not surprising. I, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. Like that's, you know, the stalker games I've, the stalker games are my, what from software is to you stalker is to me where like I've heard people talk about how amazing those games are. I look at them and go, this seems like my kind of thing. I should definitely play this. And then I try and play it. And I'm like, no, you and I are in the same boat. That's how I am too. Uh, because my friend uh, a couple of years ago got really, really into stalker. The originally just, he picked it up for the first time and he got so deep into it. And I would go to his place. We'd play it together. I'd watch him play it on discord and it's a game that I can just watch him explore for hours because it is such a fascinating world and such a uh, such an unpredictable game that is like kind of its nature is that it's very unpredictable. Um, and so it is like it's a fun game to watch. And then the second he put that controller in my hand, I was like, I've, no, I'd, I think I'd rather just watch you. Um, but I, I don't know what the case will be with this one. 
but this one looks to be doing everything the first one did but bigger and uh, it looks to i mean the thing that i really notice is like it it seems like it's doing the 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 sort of call of duty slash more relevantly metro style of storytelling where from like what little i played of uh of the original stalker games you know it's um you know like you go up to a person you have a kind of like very rpg sort of uh you know dialogue option conversation and it's very stilted it's not very dramatically effective and here you know you have these kinds of like first person cutscenes with you know like what i will call actual acting um and that is kind of a that level of like like narrative polish is the thing i'm like really kind of a surprise to see in addition to just how like good that looks like it looks beautiful it's gorgeous like like to the effect where like i look at that and go that's not real gameplay (laughs) like that like like it's like one of those like i it makes me suspicious in that kind of like old-fashioned e3 type way of like this is just this is just a cinematic um but i mean i don't know like given that these things have like historically been like very this is a pc franchise like i can imagine them like you know like really sort of like you know swing for the fences kind of a graphically and then it just like not looking nearly as good on consoles and not looking that good on most computers i think that's more than likely what'll happen um i actually if it was because that is obviously the classic uh e3 uh bait and switch is the is this a cinematic or not game but uh uh that i don't think i think that dialogue interaction that is like sort of the like the um the core uh like I guess for lack of a better word, like motif of the trailer where you're at Mm. the campfire with the other guys that felt genuine. That kind of felt to me like um, going into first person in red dead and and like sitting at the fire with like your gang members and like watching their conversation that felt kind of off because there was almost still a slight stiltedness to it that didn't feel like a cinematic to me. It was still very compelling and very engaging and actually funny too, because they did the meme of the, the song that they all play in the first game. They did a, they did a little riff on that and that was funny, but it felt, um, it felt to me like, uh, uh, that might have been real gameplay. We'll we'll find out. We'll find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean to like be conspiratorial, and I'm rooting for Stalker too. I'm just kind of like I, I am genuinely shocked by the level of polish that at that um you know in that presentation, just because like Stalker is kind of like known for being a you know one of those janky uh, Eastern Bloc yeah. games. Um, and it is a really janky game. Uh, the the uh, the three because you know there are actually three Stalker games at least. Yeah, if we're um, counting like, Metro and everything, yeah uh no 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 no. we're talking like, Wait, there's, there, there's there's call of call of, yet, call of Pripyat, Pripyat, Stalker, shadow and... shadow of chernobyl and um, um i have forgotten the name of the other one yeah, there's yeah, one yeah. that is like a little less uh renowned um you are right but yeah yeah you yeah like right. this is technically like the the fourth stalker yep. at least but it's um, also stalker too apparently <laughs> yeah um yeah no i mean like it, it does it just it looks more like the metro games the thing is though i think that the ethos of like the survive like there's a kind of I think the stalker games are a little less blockbustery for lack of a better word than the Metro games. Yeah. And so I, that actually makes me more excited for stalker two than I, than I've been like for at the prospect of playing any of the Metro games, which I've tried and don't really love. Yeah. It, what I'll say honestly is of all the trailers that were revealed there uh, at the, at this conference, um, stalker is a series that, like I said, I have sort of the same level of connection with it that you do. And it's probably the reveal I'm most excited about of everything I saw, or no, I'm pretty excited about outer outer worlds too. Even though outer worlds one is kind of a mixed bag of quality. I still am glad that they're continuing that franchise. I want to see more outer worlds. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of outer worlds too, it exists. That's what the trailer said, or actually it says it doesn't exist yet, but it will. That was the (laughs) promise. (laughs) Anyway, outer worlds too. That's Um, a cool one. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see what else. Um, Metroid. They're making a side scroller. Metroid. Nintendo has reminded us that even though Metroid Prime Four is MIA, they have not forgotten about Metroid, and they they once again, at least for now, care about Metroid. Um, hopefully, we can get Star Fox to that level one day. But for now, you know, I'll I'll take Metroid. Um, like again, another one. I'm probably not going to play. I love Prime but I could never get into the side-scroller Metroids. I don't have the patience for them. I've tried uh, Super Metroid and Fusion, both exceptional games, both games I can't really break into any more than like two hours tops just because I, I go insane 
with the backtracking. Uh, mm-hmm. Side scrolling backtracking just infuriates me. That's why I can't play Castlevania either. I just I can't do it. But it looks really cool if you're into that sort of thing. Um, let's see. Psychonauts 2 is still happening. That's nice to see. Um, I don't have much to say about that other than of all the of all the games next to Outer Worlds probably of all the games that I that have been there have been trailers for that I am actually personally connected to and am going to play for sure. I'm still not as excited about Psychonauts as I am for uh, Stalker, which is a weird not not something I expected. And I love Psychonauts. Yeah, I. It's been so long since the original Psychonauts that I, I'm just kind of like, yeah, you know, I'll play that. Like, I'll play new Double Fine. Double Fine's cool. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like the original Psychonauts is great. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, all it's right. like, all right, cool. Um, God, uh, what else? Uh, let's see. There was a there was a sequel to Breath of the Wild. Oh, I haven't yeah. played Breath yes. of the Wild because I don't own a Switch. Um, uh, another one another one i'm I'm just coming out with the hot takes today uh i don't like breath of the wild i played 10 hours of the first breath of the wild did not care for it 10 hours is enough time to know if you like a game or not and uh it was was not for me um mm. i i just i didn't like that it basically completely abandoned the zelda formula and even though the zelda formula had shown us with skyward sword that it was getting old um I'd still just prefer it. Mm, I, yeah, I, I have like no real attachment to the Zelda franchise. Um, I mostly have some fondness for Wind Waker, which I played at a friend's house when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, I, I started Breath of the Wild once and was kind of like, oh, like I like that they basically sort of begin it by just like showing you some photographs and going, find these places. I'm like, yeah, okay, I like this like conceptually. Um, and yeah, I don't know. But anyway, that exists. That's cool. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll play that at some point if I ever own a Switch. Uh, what else was there? Um, uh, uh, Kazuya is going to be in Smash, and his trailer was funny. The trailer was funny. The tra- yeah. like One of the only genuinely funny things I've ever seen at an E3 uh, conference ever. At a that Nintendo one. Direct, especially. Um, yeah. Ever since Reggie's departure, I don't think a Nintendo Direct has gotten a genuine <laughs> laugh out of me like that. Um but uh, yeah, good trailer. Uh, I I was saying to you before we went on, like I'm not. Uh, I didn't grow up much with Tekken. I played a lot of Tekken Tag Tournament as a kid. I own Tag Tournament, and I played the hell out of that as a child, uh, mostly in single player, because uh, none of my friends. I had no friends. No, uh, no one. No one wanted to play Tekken Tag Tournament because no one knew what it was. Uh, so we mostly just stuck to Mario Kart. But. Played a lot of tag and tag tournament single player. And uh, I will say, despite not having a really intense connection to the franchise, Kazuya looks fun. Looks like he's going to play like a tech. It looks like he's going to play like Kazuya does in Tekken, which is very cool. Um, they seem to be uh, very much honoring the mechanics of his character, just as they did with like Ken and Ryu. Um, so yeah, cool stuff. I like that. The- hey, Hachi's in the trailer. And they don't really explain that. Is Heihachi already in Smash? Have I been I out of the loop on Smash he- I, that I think Heihachi might be all, all, like already in the game. I feel like I vaguely remember hearing that in the uh, in the talk over that I was listening to. Um, because that one threw me off. That <laughs> that, that uh, I, I'd heard nothing about Heihachi already being in Smash. Which it makes more sense than Kazuya, despite the fact that Kazuya is like the mascot of Tekken. Heihachi is just he's Heihachi, you know. You gotta you gotta put Heihachi in there. If you're gonna have Kazuya, you gotta have Heihachi. That's what I always say. Yeah. Um, I say it all the time. Uh, <laughs> Devolver had a funny press conference. We are getting so close to running out of time. I think one more thing. I think we do want to talk about. I wish we had more time to discuss it. Um, but, uh, uh, we do have to discuss, uh, battlefield existential nightmare. Um, yeah, like I know it's like wild, like with like the time we have remaining to talk about a new battlefield game, which I feel like, you know, ever since battlefield, like three, like battlefield has basically stayed battlefield, no matter how it's changed conversation usually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, Hey, it's, you know, there's big battles there's big battles and you know, you're going to spawn in and then get shot by a sniper and then have to wait 15 seconds and spawn in and do the same thing again and again until the battle's over. Um, 
but yeah, like that was the thing. Like, honestly, if we're talking like strength of like response, like affective response, my strongest response was to the battlefield trailer because the, the, so like the, the, the run up to this is like, you know, we knew battlefield 2042 existed. We knew it was kind of like, you know, a near, obviously a near future thing. And there was like some, like the, the, the same old stupid headline where this is a game that has, uh, one of its big gimmicks is that like is climate change is a mechanic, you know, in the, in the trailer that played during E3, there's basically this like massive kind of uh, I guess like dust storm or like a dust tornado or something that kind of hit this, like this metropolitan area where this big battle is happening. And um, you know, I just like while watching this, uh, and anyway, it made dumb headlines because basically, like the developer did the thing they always do, where they say, "Oh, it's not political; it's just a gameplay thing." And like, and hopefully, we know to ignore that by now. You know, just I, I, full stop. It, um, it gets attention on Twitter for five hours and then it passes. Yeah, it, yeah. it's like yeah, like whatever. They're just they're gonna yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, the thing was like watching it, watching it. I I, I was watching. It, I just had this like sinking feeling of like this. This feels like an actual vision of the future. Like I can imagine a 2042 where like climate change has uh, uh, advanced to such a degree that there are like, you know, major battles over like land and resources happening in former metropolitan areas that are being hit by just like these massive apocalyptic storms. In fact, like, you know, there was the one, the one good call of duty game from like a couple of years ago, black ops three, basically like positive, like this is what's going to happen. And it made it like, you know, apocalyptic and nightmarish. And here it's just this kind of like, it's this sort of like, you know, backdrop and kind of like gameplay addition to, you know, doing dumb battlefield things like battlefield is a dumb franchise. So I was watching this going like, you know, I totally believe that in the future there will be sick tank drops and grappling hooks while we fight over the last bits of uh, livable land on the planet earth. <laughs> like, it was just like, I felt like this is like, this is the, the stupid, this is the stupid end of humanity here where we have just like all of this like sick military tech while we're fighting over the last remaining resources on earth. Yeah. I mean, and, and like there, there is a, um, there's a very stark and troubling image to see uh, uh, troops to see to see a player 360 no scoping in a half melted Arctic. Like <laughs> it's it's like oh I don't know I don't know how to feel about this. Like and that was ultimately my thought is I don't I, another franchise I have not much connection to. I didn't really grow up on military shooters because. Back when modern warfare was a thing, I was part of this weird solo venture that no one else joined me in where I thought you had to be loyal to Halo or Call of Duty and you couldn't have both, despite the fact that all of my friends played both. And I was like, no, I was like 12. I was like, you know, you're a traitor to Halo then. You don't love, you don't know Master Chief like I know Master Chief. And so I just like, I never really touched military shooters growing up. And so, but even this one, as someone who uh, normally the news of a new battlefield or Call of Duty or what have you just bounces right off of me. This is one where I was like, oh, this is unique. This is bleak. And this is also stupid. I, I kind of need to see what's going on here. This is, uh, yeah, it, it, bravo to the, uh, is it Activision or EA? Who makes Battlefield again? EA. EA. Bravo to the people at EA for uh, uh, really managing to capture my attention uh, by depressing the hell out of me. Yeah, like like to be clear, there have been plenty of other games that touch on climate change, but it was just like the, it really was just the combination of kind of like the idiotic, like military bombast and like, like again, like the, the dope technology in combination with just the like actual kind of like apocalypse happening around it. That was just like this, this is dumb enough, like, this is dumb enough where it feels like uncomfortably uh, coherent with our reality. That was, yeah. Ultimately, I was just a sort of mixed bag of reactions and emotions while watching that trailer. And it, it certainly got the, it got the most, it got the biggest reaction out of me of any trailer I saw for better and for worse. 
Um, I'm still not going to play it because I don't care. But, but you know, um, really tackling a uh, hugely important issue with uh, some kind of level of grace and poise. I don't know. Regardless, uh, that is our mini nutshell for hours worth of content at e3 this last or the e3 amalgam whatever have you this last week um we barely scratched the surface of stuff maybe we can talk about it more next week probably won't let's see uh and we will be right back with more feasting on mass effect stay with us listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I am Justin Kiever and with me is the other host of Socially Distanced, Paxton Wright. Say hello, Paxton. Hello. All right. So, well, you know, if you uh, were listening to our previous half hour, you know, we ended on a discussion of a game about fighting over the last remaining resources on Earth. And now let's move on to a discussion about a game about strip mining every single resource from the entire galaxy. That's right. It's Mass Effect 2. <laughs> so Paxton, you've been playing. Uh, we're, yeah, we're continuing our discussion of the entire Mass Effect series. And uh, yeah, you've been playing uh, Mass Effect 2. Uh, how's, how's that been going? It's so good uh it's been a really really interesting series to revisit because as again we talked for an hour about this franchise uh last week and then you and i have had several like one-off discussions since then because you have also been watching me stream a bit of mass effect 2 lately or watching me stream it in like 240p where it looks like a live leak video because my wi-fi is terrible in my apartment but 240p and five minute chunks as the streaming thing on playstation just fails again and again oh it's been great <laughs> um but uh uh so uh, there's we've discussed plenty but honestly my biggest takeaway still has been Revisiting this franchise that was so, so pivotal for me in my upbringing for not just video games, but like media on a whole, like for so many years was one of my favorite fictional worlds, period, to an extent still is, um, although like as as the series and myself age, um, many more of its holes uh, reveal itself uh, and many more of its shortcomings reveal itself but by and large those games are still incredible um, and uh, yeah like I said they're not without their shortcomings but two remains I again I haven't gotten a three yet but I, I think it's still going to remain that series high point um, it's just so tight uh, such a massive improvement in direction uh, Mass Effect 1 has mass effect one has very cool world building some neat little character moments um a, a decent enough conflict uh but it is so sterile and so cold and i can't remember if we talked about this on on air or in private but like no no events no matter how actually significant feel significant because the direction in that game is just so sorely lacking and then mass effect 2 comes right out of the gate with you you're playing as shepherd your ship gets ambushed by this unknown vessel that dwarfs it and rips your ship to shreds kills almost your entire crew and kills you and that's in the first like two minutes of the game 
and it is and then you get the the plot goes such on the with the incredibly on the nose jesus slash shepherd uh, uh analogy you are resurrected and brought back to life uh by way of uh, uh immeasurably expensive uh scientific uh project by shadow corporation which we will get into that but the just the clear contrast of the end of mass effect one when the citadel the main hub is being attacked by the main antagonist lives are on the line everything is blowing up everything you fought for has come to this moment and yet it still feels so kind of airy and unimportant and then mass effect one mass effect two immediately comes in with this just grandiose spectacle intro where everything suddenly feels so significant and it just it it sets its own identity right off the bat which like it, to me it just speaks volumes about despite the fact that mass effect one is still a very 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 good game it speaks volumes about just the in the vast rift in quality from one to two yeah it's it's a banger of an opening it's really good i mean the yeah like the opening kind of like destruction of the original normandy which you know you spend a ton of time on in the first mass effect like yeah it's uh it's striking and yeah it's it very much you know it feels i mean obviously it feels like a very like you know overt kind of itself on the nose thesis statement of like hey we're reinventing mass effect you thought you knew mass effect well no you don't but it is just kind of like but it is just also just genuinely cool at a kind of like just at the level of experience you know like walking out into the sort of like the main kind of area of the ship and like it's already you know you're under attack the basically the hull has been blown apart and you know like you see you can look out into the vacuum of space from this ship and like all of like the sound kind of like goes out and you just hear shepherd breathing as you slowly make your way to like save joker which is basically your objective in this opening part it's just it really is a it is an image that the first mass effect just does not have an equal to and yeah. yeah it happens in the first two minutes of the game yeah and it really stays like i think one of the other things we talked uh, we talked about in the last show too that i think has really struck me during my time with mass effect 2 as well is the cinematography and dialogue interactions because dialogue in mass effect 1 is shot reverse shot every single time there is very little dynamic camera work in any dialogue interactions in that game mass effect 2 like has fun with it mass effect 2 has fun with the environments there's actually some like kind of beautiful shots despite the fact that the game does look a little rough around the edges because i mean it's 11 years old of course it's gonna um despite the fact that the game does look a little rough around the edges there's some really gorgeous camera work in that game especially with um with the character of uh, jack who's one of your companions in the game who like uh all, all your different companions like hang out in different spots of the ship and jack uh her sort of like hangout spot is like down in the um down in the hulls like in like a hidey hole basically that's sort of next to like this sort of red glowing engine and they use that that red glow to full effect um and they do some really cool silhouetting effects with jack in your dialogue with her um they, they really play with the camera in that game. And it only just goes to like emphasize the like incredible improvement in direction. Uh, but beyond that, where Mass Effect 2, I think excels even more than Mass Effect 1 is in its character, uh, characters, plural. Um, Mass Effect 1, despite being a game that is all dialogue and constantly talking to, or not all dialogue, but primarily dialogue and talking to characters. Its characters are all fairly one dimensional and not that interesting. Um, they all show potential for being really interesting, but most of the intrigue of their characters comes from the races that they represent. It's way more interesting in Mass Effect 1 to learn about Turians than it is to learn about Garrus. Uh, it's yeah. way more interesting to learn about uh, Quarians than it is to learn about Tali and Li and Asari and Liara. Um, Mass Effect 2 changes that though. Mass Effect 2 is character driven uh, to the max. Half the game, half the game is missions dedicated to helping your companions solve some kind of crisis or deal with some kind of baggage that they have yeah. and i would i would argue that like honestly like even like it's like half his loyalty missions but i would say probably like 90 percent of the game is actually dedicated to the characters themselves like this is a like this is a game with a with a larger plot that maybe we should quickly explain but like 
Yeah, I know. Like this is a game that cares so much more about its characters and basically just about giving you a chance to, I mean, you're still inhabiting this world as a soldier, you know, which has its limitations, but basically just giving you a chance to kind of like inhabit the world of Mass Effect before kind of like the grand war that happens in Mass Effect 3 that kind of shakes everything apart. Yes, Mass Effect 3 goes back to being more plot driven than character driven. Although Mass Effect 3 does a, a pretty nice balancing job, as I recall, of giving you a bit of both. But it's certainly nowhere near to the same degree of intimacy with its characters as Mass Effect 2 is. Yeah. Um, so like the setup for Mass Effect 2, if you haven't played it before or if it's been a while. Yeah. So as we already said, uh, Commander Shepard, the player character from the first game, uh, gets, a, you know, uh, she and uh, her, you know, her the, the Normandy, the, the ship get ambushed. Uh, Shepard dies. Shepard is resurrected by Cerberus, which is a, a human supremacist group, arguably. Uh, kind of depending who you ask which is sort of the weird thing about Cerberus in this game um, that uh, basically yeah resurrects Shepard gives Shepard a new Normandy and then says anyway human uh, colonies are being abducted uh, you find out very quickly they're being abducted by a mysterious alien, alien race called the Collectors, which are like sort of a, a myth more than anything else. But they're real and they're taking humans and you they're have to like find myth, out why. The, the Collectors are interesting because they are like kind of a myth, but they like kind of state that like most of the galaxy like recognizes that the Collectors are real, but there have been so few sightings and so little studies on them that there are doubters out there. But there is a general acknowledgement, like, no, they're real, they're real, but how, to what extent is, like, kind of the, yeah, yeah, and the kind it, of the mythos around them. And, like, they seem to, and, you know, you learn very quickly by, uh, uh, from the, the mouth of the person that runs Cerberus, the elusive man who is played by Martin Sheen, um, that they have some connection to the reapers. So basically the goal of the game is, you know, like, okay, the, the collectors live beyond this one mysterious mass relay, which is basically the, the faster than like travel system in mass effect. We should uh, also clarify. I'm not, we, mm -hmm. we're not going to get into all the mythos of what the reapers are because we discussed it in the last thing, but uh, the reapers are the main big bad of the yeah. entire franchise. That's all you need to know. If yeah, you want yeah. more clarification, go listen to the last episode. Yeah, collectors are little bad guys working for the big bad guys. So anyway, so the, the setup is you have to go through this mass relay, find out what the collectors are doing. This is probably going to be, this is going to be a suicide mission. You need to build your team for this big mission. The entirety, like almost the entirety of Mass Effect 2 is building the team and making sure they're ready for this big mission at the end. So it is a game about meeting a bunch of characters and finding out about them. And as you said already, Paxton, going on missions that have to do with like their baggage and kind of like their own personal histories and yeah and, and like trying to yeah trying to help them as much as possible before you have to go on this big mission right so they can have their basically the whole sentiment around it is that like they need their closure they need to be entirely focused on the mission so every character has this thing that they need dealt with and each character has a mission dedicated to them where you take them to X place and help them deal with something in their past or a current conflict that is making their life hell. Um, and so they, so they can have 110% loyalty to you and to your cause and to the mission and be focused and ready to go for the uh, suicide mission because where that game excels again and where people I think really sort of know and loud mass effect too we could talk more about this next week because i like I, I think i said i'm only about halfway through me2 so far but the suicide mission at the end of the game is a real suicide mission you need to make sure your entire squad is prepared and loyal you need to make sure that uh your ship is beefed up by mining resources and and paying for upgrades to the ship there's a lot you need to manage because uh in this final mission, if something goes wrong, if you have a character that you haven't done their loyalty mission or there's a part of the ship you haven't upgraded, people will die. Um, and they will not come back in three. Those characters will be gone. Um, and so what that game does so well is you bond with these characters because there's this sense of like, there is so much at stake here. Anyone could die. And what makes that final mission so fantastic, and again, we could talk more about this next week, probably when I actually get to it, 
but uh uh even if you do everything right you've done everyone's loyalty mission the ship's fully upgraded you know you know you're gonna be okay it's still presented in such a way that there is a voice in the back of your head like what if i forgot something though what if I forgot something though? Oh no. Oh no. Like the suspense I've, I've played through mass effect two several times. And every time I do everything perfectly so that no one dies in the final mission. And I'm still on the edge of my seat through that final mission. It doesn't change. Yeah. It's, um, th- this is something I would actually need to go and like watch the, uh, you know, and like, we can talk about this more next week. I do think part of that has to do with like the way the way those scenes are like assembled, where basically like if if everyone survives each individual part of the suicide mission, you basically are getting an extra scene where the people survive. So it almost feels like if I'm remembering correctly, like we've talked about how um, the uh, the direction, uh, like the cinematography is just like more dynamic in this game than it was in the last. There's a kind of there's a presentation of like almost it feels like it's building towards someone's death death every time but then you know but then you you get the scene where that doesn't happen so it's almost like like you know formally it's kind of like trying to guide you toward like the bad ending and then it's just sort of like it swerves away from that um anyway uh but yeah we can talk about that a little more next week um in the meantime though yeah you know like you get like a really interesting cast of characters i mean by and large there are like 12 squad mates so they are you know not all great characters some of them are quite boring um jacob. uh jacob yeah you know he's he's a handsome man actually like a good performance too like a pretty good performance oh yeah that's the that is like the we, i mean we're not going to dedicate the last 12 minutes of this episode to talking about jacob taylor but <laughs> but i to, to his credit yeah very good performance and a character that feels like he has so much potential to be interesting especially because he has a great loyalty mission and there is and yeah a great voice actor um has kind of an interesting setup he should be more and he is not and then they don't do anything to rectify that when he comes back in three and he just remains husk man the entire series and it's it's a real shame because he has a, <sighs> a great set of washboard abs he really does like yeah like if you romance him when that when that man takes his shirt off Whew. um sounds like we're joking but seriously that's that's a hot video game character right there uh but yeah um but there are some like yeah some like really interesting uh uh characters in this game some returning tally and garris come back as squad mates uh, i know two that you really wanted to talk about though and i think um one of them being i think probably the most interesting character in mass effect and you might have said that in our last episode uh morden solis is the, uh, the best character in mass effect yeah he is quite good uh and there's also a character with a boring name that is actually an interesting character named grunt yeah who um who is also kind of like ends up being sort of a stand-in for the krogan which uh we'll talk about more um but also but the thing is he's in an interesting way though and i'll let i'll let you kind of like take the lead on talking about grunt and morden yeah i'll lead in with grunt um because i don't have as much to say about him as i do morden um but grunt is basically he's a the mission where you go to recruit him you go to recruit uh, this other Krogan who's like a warlord who's kind of an insane recluse um, uh, uh, hermit uh, who's also like kind of a mad scientist named Okir. Um, and so you go to go, you go to recruit him uh, and he has been trying to breed uh, tank bred Krogan in order to sort of surpass the Krogan legacy and make for because as we discussed in the last episode the krogan uh, just as a quick refresher are uh, a species that are a victim of a form of soft genocide uh which uh, called the uh, genophage which is basically a sterility plague that makes it so that only one in every thousand krogan can be born and they're genocided because the krogan have a sort of warlike culture or like a warrior brent culture that kind of like uh, the vikings almost uh, and uh basically like yeah they were kind of a terror on the galaxy but uh uh i think well they were they were fosters a military force to fight another race called the rachni and then basically they had to be very or rather the perception was they needed to be very quickly demilitarized and because they were so abrasive yeah and and so it was other species the turians and the salarians uh jumped to conclusions uh, and wanted to wanted to beat them at the pass, just like the Quarians did with the Geth, 
Um, it's a recurring theme in this game. And so they basically neutered an entire species, but justified it as saying like, no, it's not genocide. We didn't kill anyone. We just made it so that they basically can't reproduce. It's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, and, and then so Grunt is kind of like the, uh, you know, uh, Grunt is kind of like this, who is a, uh, a tank bred Krogan developed by Okir is kind of like he is the product of this sort of uh you know this this another attempt to kind of overcome the genophage because there hasn't yes. there hadn't been a cure for the genophage so he is the sort of he is yeah a, a you know a completely tank bred krogan and that sort of that ends up inspiring this kind of like from what i remember this sort of identity like a light identity crisis in him where he tries to like figure out like what is you know as this you know uh an artificial you could say being like how artificial is he is sort of this kind of like motivating question for grunt right. and also like the fact that you know he is he is you know he is a response to this like genocide against the krogan like also sort of like leads these other questions of identity to, and yeah anyway grunt. Yeah, yeah yeah and so basically but yeah that's that's him in a nutshell and so yeah you get to you get to okir okir gets killed um by a band of mercenaries that uh, are basically trying to weaponize his tank bred Krogan. Um, and so Okir ends up getting killed, but you take Grunt back with you. And yes, Grunt is having this sort of identity crisis uh, of like, what is my purpose? Uh, because the Krogan are also a very kind of, I don't know if nationalistic is the right word, but their identity is very important to them. And they're a, they're a species that is developed by, uh, that is, that is comprised of several clans. And since uh, Grunt does not belong to a clan, he doesn't, he's no one's spawn. Okir himself was an outcast from the Krogan. Grunt sort of has no real identity. And so he is driven by this in, innate desire that Krogans have need, uh, that uh, they sort of be a part of a community and yet struggles to find a community that will accept him. And so your loyalty mission is you take him to, uh, to Chunka, the Krogan homeworld, where you meet, uh, you meet up with Rex, uh, who is your, the Krogan companion from the first game, who is now the head of Clan Erdnot. Um, and Rex is basically trying to be kind of a, like a new progressive voice for the Krogan um and trying to sort of by bringing the clans together and really focusing on reproduction and stop focusing so much on like being guns for hire um and so rex welcomes grunt in with open arms you have to pass a a, a right sort of like a ritual with grunt where you just fight waves of enemies and then grunt becomes a member of clan or not and that's how his conflict is resolved that's how his sort of arc is resolved yeah. Um, and, and on the, um, and on the kind of like the flip side in terms of like the, on the flip side of the genophage, you know, like the characters who sort of like identity is kind of based around this, like the, this genocide that sort of like, you know, is a subplot in mass effect is Morden who, and I'm not trying and who I, and I think this is a pretty honest uh, representation of his sort of, not of his character traits, his personality, but his kind of like role in the genophage. He's, he's a Nazi doctor is yes. what he is like he is one of the like i believe he is one of the doctors that developed and also uh and i think like actually like also because he had like worked in the military like spread the genophage yes he was like one of the key uh one of the key uh people behind the genophage basically um and he is a uh, yeah again he's the best character in the franchise because he is a character that not only just has a lot of fun quirks about him which actually do have a lot of significance into who he is as a character he is this yeah this intellectual very heady doctor who's a yeah he's a solarian which kind of is like mass effect stand-in for like the classic like gray aliens sort of the bug eyes kind of sort of a stand-in for that look um but he's a solarian who is uh yeah highly intellectual and highly neurotic and speaks in a very like staccato fast manner uh doesn't use complete sentences uh must uh, uh focused on mission at all times uh needs to blah 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 like that's kind of how he that's how his demeanor is um and so he's like he's just like kind of silly in his own right when he introduces himself and he's also very cavalier about murder um he will like he he always perceives the best response to a threat to be uh to be 
harsh action, basically. Um, and so he sort of wrestles with this kind of moral quandary of having, yeah, it's, uh, spearheaded a genocide. Um, and he wrestles with it and also attempts to constantly justify it. So when you basically try to call him out on what he's done, he'll be like, no, 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 no. It, it, uh, it had to be done. The Krogan were out of control. We needed to blah, blah, blah. And like, he just, he, he's in such a state of denial. Uh, and so on his loyalty mission, you find out that one of his old, uh, uh, like like pupils, basically, who's another Salarian, um, is also on Tuchanka and is helping the uh, the Blood Pack, which is a like Krogan mercenary gang. Um, they're basically like pirates. He's helping them, trying to come up with a cure for the Genophage. But it is in an effort to the the moral quandary. There is that it's being run by the Blood Pack, so they want to cure the Genophage in order to build the blood pack army and sort of reign as pirates, essentially. And, and they're also kidnapping. They're kidnapping female Krogan as well. They're yeah. kidnapping and killing female Krogan, which there are very few of um, in order to like run these tests. And so this, this, I can't, I can't remember the character's name, but Morden's pupil is sort of doing this out of a sense of guilt, knowing that he also helped orchestrate the, uh, the, the uh, genophage and also sort of took Morden's idea that the ends justify the means a little too literally. And so Morden kind of has this like come to Jesus moment in this mission where you're seeing these dead Krogan women around this facility because Krogan uh, Morden is always very insistent. He's like, no, 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 never killed anyone to do uh, what we had to do. Uh, we, we knew there was a better way. Like, because again, he's still trying to justify like this wasn't genocide. We didn't technically kill anybody. And so like seeing this, this like lab full of corpses sort of strikes him. And then his pupil being like, Hey, you taught me to do this. We is... didn't kill anybody, but we basically did children of men to Tuchanka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no. And it's, so it's just, he is, and his character continues to grow. And Mass Effect three is when he fully, uh, we'll get to that conversation later, but it's when he fully comes around to like, Oh, I done something horrible. But Mass Effect two is when he starts to wrestle with it. It's when he starts to realize like, Oh, my actions might've had a really bad impact, but I'm not, I'm not willing to admit it yet, but I, I, I may have screwed up somewhere along the way. It's like when he starts to sort of come to that revelation. Yeah. And something that's really interesting about Mass Effect 2 is, yeah, it basically, it puts you with Cerberus kind of as a way to like, to allow you to, to work with the evil people in Mass Effect, even though it doesn't really maybe commit to calling them evil. And Morden is an interesting kind of, uh, you know, uh, he, he is a character that say, let's say Hannah Arendt would be writing about in like the banality of evil essay that like everyone likes to um, cite but, because yeah, like it's, he's really interesting in the, in the, you know, like he did something evil working for the winning, but like working for the winning side. So he has this kind of like, you know, his sort of like very rational personality in combination with the fact that he was ultimately on the side of the victors allows him to rationalize this deeply evil thing away. And what you get to see throughout two and three is him failing, like, you know, like that kind of like the, that rationalization failing. Yeah. And that is, um, and I wish, part of me really does wish the Mass Effect was a little more critical of like how just deeply messed up certain parts of its fiction are. And I think, you know, like if you're willing to kind of like be generous with Mass Effect, like yeah, Morden's arc is like, I think one of the most interesting things in the whole series. Yeah. And and yeah, and I think like really, um, yeah, just a... Uh, yeah, he's, he, I don't know. I, I, I'm realizing I don't have a great way to finish this. He's a good, no, he's a good character. He's, 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 a, character. A, he's a very good character. And uh, again, there is actually so much more I still want to say on Morden about like his affectations and just about, yeah, basically like his, his level of hubris and his sort of overcoming that hubris and his arc of eating humble pie, basically. There is so much more I do want to say about the character, but we are very much out of time. So maybe next week, who knows? Anyway, uh, that is part two of probably several more parts of Mass Effect Feasts on Socially Distanced. 
Uh, take care, stay safe, stay healthy, everyone. Bye, everybody.